0: Love yourself. Really consider, really, really consider what loving yourself means. I heard that probably 10,000 times, someone, someone saying love yourself, until one day it just struck me. Love, like, what does it think about that? Do you love yourself? Are you doing anything that looks like to other people like you love yourself? Until you love yourself, nothing happens.
1: It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh,
2: Okay, folks, today we have Brian B.D. Nino joining us on the Share Podcast today, the author of Seven Habits for Peaceful Sobriety kick your addictions, claim your health, and thrive. Nino is a vegan, a marathon runner, an activist. He gives back in his community. He gives back in 12-step recovery. He's just an awesome guy, and I am honored to have him on the show. What's really cool about this interview that I had with Brian is that he had mentioned Rich Roll to me for the first time. I didn't even know who Rich Roll was when I did his interview and he talked about the book Finding Ultra. Then, what some people would call a coincidence and I call a godshot. a month or so after I interviewed Brian, a couple of my very close friends had told me that they just finished reading Finding Ultra with Rich Roll. And I'm like, man, one of the people I interviewed had mentioned that book. They go, dude, you got to check it out. It's awesome. There were so many takeaways in Brian's interview, but one of which was that he'd become a vegan and he'd become a marathon runner. And then once my friends had recommended that I read Rich Roll's book, I downloaded it on Audible and I start listening to it. And lo and behold, Rich Roll is a vegan. He's an ultra marathon runner. The guy is the picture of health. And what cracks me up the most is that Nino is an addict just like me. I either am all the way in or I'm all the way out. So I can just almost picture Nino reading this book and halfway through it going, fuck it. I'm going to become a vegan and start running marathons. You know, just fucking hysterical. Which is funny because as I start listening to Finding Ultra, it starts to make sense. I mean, here's a guy who was a full-blown alcoholic, finds recovery, okay, becomes successful in his practice, and like so many of us, starts justifying eating garbage. Fast food, McDonald's, hamburgers, ice cream, tons and tons of coffee, you know, just just that sedentary lifestyle, no exercise, gains 50 pounds, can't walk up a flight of steps without losing his breath, and decides, I can't take anymore, enough's enough. And so Rich turns to his wife, who is a plant-based chef, a spiritual guide, a meditation guru, and asks her for help. Now, as I'm reading this book, Many of you know that my wife is a yoga instructor. She's studying to be a nutrition coach. She's in unbelievable shape. She's super healthy. So I'm reading this book and much like Brian, I'm like, oh my God, all the similarities, all the parallels. Wait a minute. My wife is an absolute badass. I'm going to ask her for help. So I sit down with my wife and I said, honey, I'm ready. I've been reading this book called Finding Ultra, and that interview with Brian is all I need. Okay, the writing's on the wall. This is it. I've got to change my lifestyle. So I'm ready to do this. Let's do a 10-day juice cleanse. You do the research on this. You make all the juices, and I promise you, I will not cheat. I will stick to it. I will make this happen. And so my wife agrees because she's tired of seeing me. I think she's just as tired of me being fat as I am. And so she does all the research, she puts together the meal plans for me, she puts together all the juice plans for me, she starts adding maca, spirulina, wheatgrass, uh, cacao, vegan protein, you name it. And then, of course, after the juice cleanse, now I've cut out meat. I've cut out chicken. I've cut out red meat. I've cut out all dairy. I've cut out processed sugars. I've cut out processed foods. No chips. No snacks. No garbage. And I would say 80% of my dietary intake now is plant-based because I'm still doing a lot. Ju- I'm still doing juices every single day. Uh, I'm doing Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning Breakfast Shake, so I'm getting all the nutrients that I I need, and lo and behold, the byproduct of this is I've lost weight, I've lost about eight pounds, I've stopped drinking coffee, never in my entire life did I ever think I was going to stop drinking coffee. My energy level is through the roof, and it's not to say that the first five days weren't fucking miserable. It was so hard the first five days to not eat whole food and to just drink juice every single day. Yes, it was very hard. I wasn't drinking coffee, and so I was totally like dazed and confused for like five days. And I had told myself that if I absolutely need to drink at least a cup of coffee, I'll have a cup of coffee. Well, I remember there was this one day where I'd gone an entire day without thinking about coffee, without getting tired, just blowing through my day. And by the time I got home, I realized, oh my God, I went through an entire day without eating meat, without eating carbs, without eating sugar, without drinking my usual 10 cups of coffee, and I feel fantastic. And I was sold. So the reason why I've gone into such great detail about what's been going on in my life over the last month is because I owe a lot of this to Brian. It was after that interview that I really started to think about my life and making some serious changes. When I heard his story, it was so impactful and it was so powerful, and the fact that he has written this book, The Seven Habits for Peaceful Sobriety, which I have listed on the show notes, so make sure to go to the show notes and check it out. The fact that he is so involved in his community in helping others, not just people in the recovery community. For example, he is part of the Burrito Project. And what the Burrito Project is, is a group of friends that feed the hungry and homeless in cities around the world. And basically what they do is they just encourage other people to do the same. So, you know, you get your friends together, you build burritos, and you take them out into the streets. There's no political parties or religions involved in any of this. This is purely a humanitarian effort to help others. So once you've heard this interview, I invite you to go to the SHARE podcast, go to Brian's show notes. On there, you will see his website, Plant-Based Nation. You will find the Burrito Project. You will see his book, The Seven Habits for Peaceful Sobriety, listed on there. All the information you need to learn or contact Brian is right on the show notes. So without further ado, and a quick message from our sponsor, we're going to jump into Brian's story. (laughs) SoberNation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, SoberNation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.soberNation.com. Sobernation Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. Now back to the show. Hey Brian, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Omar.
2: I'm excited to have you, buddy. How you feeling?
0: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. A little little uh little nervous on interviews, but that's okay.
2: Don't worry, God'll guide you through this. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Brian. So tell us about how your life is today. Take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery, and tell us a little bit about your book, *The Seven Habits for Peaceful Sobriety*.
0: Okay. Um, my da- my daily routine is exactly that. It's a daily practice to, you know, maintain sobriety and, and peaceful sobriety. At that, um, I've uh, I've had periods in my life where I, um, you know, I white knuckled it and um, and it it was, it was real hard, and I finally found myself at a place where I have peaceful, lasting sobriety, but it is definitely a daily practice. And um, you know, I start each day with um, some reading and meditation. And uh, I'm an avid runner, so um, I take off on um, runs about four or five times a week. And I like to hit the gym and do a little bit of uh, a little bit of strength training and uh, yoga. And I just kind of keep my body in shape and, um, and make sure that I have proper nutrition, which has um, been a foundation for my sobriety. Um, and we can get into that in a little bit here. I'll tell you all about it. Um, That's actually um, uh, what I wrote about the Seven Habits of Highly Sober People. Um, It's uh, the seven habits that I started practicing as a daily practice in my life that turned my life around, basically saved my life because I was well on my way to dying uh, from alcoholism. Right. And uh, Yeah. So I sat down to write the book after my brother passed away back in July and um, he was an alcoholic like myself and um, ended up with, um, he ended up getting oral cancer, and uh, they say that that's caused by alcohol and tobacco mainly. We'll never know why he got it, and the fact of the matter is it doesn't really matter at this point because he's gone. You know, it's just sort of the quality of life he led. It was a hard one, and you know, we're only sitting here in November now, so that was just here recently in July, and uh, he basically raised me. It's been a a tough last couple months, but I'm telling you, I, I just, the strength of of my daily practice and the, the serenity and the peace that I've been able to get through my sobriety this time has just been nothing short of a miracle. It's carried me through.
2: That's heavy, Brian. Man, that's, that's like really heavy stuff, man. I'm sure we're going to get into that as we dive into your story. But first, tell us a little bit about how you maintain your spiritual condition on a daily basis.
0: I like to stay in contact with, with nature. I like, like I said, I run, and I like to get out on the trails, and I like to get out into nature, and uh, my higher power is is nature, and 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 my health, my wellness, just being in touch with what I put in my body, and being out in nature. I mean, it's it's sort of you know, I t- I tend to sound like I um like like I'm an old hippie when I get into this stuff, but you know, <laughs> I am from Earth, and you know when I'm out there with Earth, it just feels wonderful, and um Along the way of uh, me finding recovery, um, I, I converted to a, a 100% plant-based vegan and um, all I eat is plant foods and um, I've cut out all the chemicals and And alcohol, meat, wheat, sugar, dairy, everything you um, you know I just, I just eat from earth and I, I'm out with I'm out in nature running and that is my higher power.
2: Well, to a certain degree it is all about clean living and you know how much more clean could you live? You are a life when all you do is put plant-based nutrients into your body. So that is a beautiful way to connect with your higher power and with nature, which you know it seems is is one and the same to you. So, but let's start jumping into your story a little bit. Tell us about the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how did they make you feel?
0: Um, I'm 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 half Mexican and I'm half Czech and uh, half the- what? Czech, Czech Czechoslovakian. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, my mom's Czech and my dad's Mexican. Um Wow. And so um my dad's side Um is, you know, your typical Mexican family with, you know, two hundred cousins and uncles and aunts and uh, <laughs> everybody gets together and plays poker on the weekends and you know, the party starts on Friday and it ends on Monday kind of thing.
1: <laughs>
0: so, you know, I was raised around um, you know, quite a bit of drinking and um I'd always try to sneak a drink out of the beers of um, you know my dad or my grandpa, and uh, they thought it was funny. I remember I'd get a rise out of it; they'd laugh and they, oh, look at you know Mijo, he wants a beer, and they'd laugh. And so I'd do it again, and you know, like kids, they take a joke a little too far, and then you get in trouble. But I remember I liked it because it got me attention. Mm. And uh, I, you know, I don't think I drank enough to um, to, uh, to to get a head change or anything, but I. I drink, I drink because I, I like that it got me a approval, you know, kind of a, it got me a laugh and, you know, everybody was kind of, you know, like what you end up doing later in life, you drink you, drinking because, you know, people expect it out of you kind of thing. That, that was my first experience with drinking. And, um, and then I can remember when I was about 12, my dad, he lives down in uh, San Diego and um, we'd take the uh, train from Los Angeles down to San Diego to see him on the weekends and uh i'd sneak beers out of the house and bring them with me on the train and uh, at 12. yeah yeah because i ride by myself and um i thought it was i'd sit in the smoking cart with my brother (laughs) and we would drink beer and smoke cigarettes riding Mm -hmm. the train (laughs) and we thought we were so cool of course (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, if we, you know, the, you, can you imagine if you walked as a, as an adult walk by two children <laughs> drinking beer, smoking cigarette, you'd just be like, what is what? And no one stopped us. That was the crazy part.
2: Oh, buddy, I was doing while you were talking about it. I was trying to picture this twelve-year-old kid holding a beer and smoking a cigarette.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this, was, this was you know, yeah, this <laughs> was fucking <laughs> priceless. Yeah, I know, man. Uh-huh.
2: I love it. All right, man. Listen, Brian, you're all warmed up, buddy. So here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So Brian, take it away.
0: Okay. You know, I said I was born in Los Angeles and my mom and dad got married real young. My, uh, Mom was 17 when she had my brother my dad was 19. And uh, then I came along a couple years later, but um, you know, my dad left by the time I was three. So I don't remember him being there, um, but it, it affected my brother because uh, he was old enough to remember and he, he was heartbroken. I really don't think that he ever got over it. I mean, it, it, it kind of bothered him all through life. But um, like I say, I didn't remember, but um, again, that might be one of those things that maybe did hurt me, but I just sort of repressed it. And uh, you know, no one wants to be around a, a downer, so I just keep my head up and act like everything's okay. But uh, I was raised around I was raised around my uncles and aunts and uh, everybody, grandparents, and um, all my dad and uh, stepmother. Um, you know, everybody drank. That's what you do when you get together. It's it's about drinking and um, not having a couple, but having a lot. Looking back, you know, once you get to a little sobriety, looking back, it's like you you say to yourself, you know, how, how did I think that was normal? But you know, when you're a kid, whatever your parents are doing, it don't matter how crazy it is. If they're doing it, you think it's normal, and not only that, you look up to it. So I looked up to it, and I, I remember thinking when I was a kid, you know, I can't wait till I'm big like them, so I can so I can be part of that. That looks fun, you know. You know, they send us off to bed; they get to stay up all night, <laughs> drink, laugh, and smoke, and play poker and shoot pool and you know who knows what else so they were my heroes my, my heroes were alcoholics
2: <laughs> yeah uh, dude i can
0: relate man i can relate yeah and uh you know and good people not there you know like nobody was um you know everybody was nice drunks everybody was happy and laughing and having a good time at least they were around me you know i don't know how they were you know in their private lives um yeah i get more on that later i suppose <laughs> as i go through the story but um, right. You know, so I I had a kind of a dual life where I spent time with uh, my dad, um, you know, on the weekends and uh, with my mom. My mom didn't drink at all because my mom was raised in a house um, uh, with my grandfather, who's an alcoholic. And uh, he was he was bad alcoholic, from from what I understand. I never saw it because he stopped and uh, he was a uh, dry drunk at that point. But um, so my mom didn't drink. So when I was at home. She, she might have a glass here or there, but, you know, it was nothing compared to being around the other other side of the family. So she decided at one point it was going to, in about second grade, she was going to take me out of uh, out of our public school because she decided that it was um, a little too, um, it was getting to be a bad neighborhood, and she wanted me mm-hmm. to be private school. So she pulled me out and put me in private school, put my brother in private school, and uh, I hated it, and my brother hated it. And, uh, you know, my brother was... I was I was always looking for his approval. He's two two and a half years older than me, and to me, he was like my brother and my dad and my best friend. And and anything I did, I wanted him to think was the best. So I would do anything. I'd I'd jump off a building if he told me to, because I I would think that you'd be my friend. So uh, as we went to school, you know, I just started acting out, and uh, you know, he thought he thought it was funny, and he would encourage me, so I'd do it more. You know, I can remember. You know, I tell the story because it just—it it gets into later when I when I when when I get into my drinking that, you know, everything that I that I realized later in life, everything I would ever done was seeking approval of others. It was never anything to do with being true to myself. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I mean, I would—I remember he would come in. He, he if if I knew he was walking by my classroom, and I saw him coming, I'd flip my desk over and flip the teacher off and tell him, you know, go go fuck yourself, and you know. And uh, he'd laugh and he'd tell his friends about it. And I thought I was so cool because I, you know. So I was doing stuff like that. Um, So basically I got thrown out of the school. They, it came time to go to high school and uh, I was supposed to go on to the next level of this private school. And uh, the uh, principal had called over and said, don't take this guy, he's he's bad news. So I went back over to public school. Well, at this point I didn't know anybody now because I'd been gone for a lot of years. And so I came in there by myself. I didn't have any friends. And I said, i got to make friends in a hurry. So I grabbed on to... Um, I couldn't believe it when I got there. I mean, it was, it was uh, in 1984 in uh, Los Angeles. You, you, you could smoke cigarettes in the hallway. I mean, they, they didn't stop you. So I get there. I, you know, I come from private school, and all of a sudden I'm at the school where people are smoking cigarettes and wearing miniskirts, and it's an open campus, and, you know, people take off, and they go smoke pot and come back to school. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is
2: jesus i don't remember any of that
0: yeah I, you know i if i didn't live it i wouldn't think it was true but I, seriously you know, it's one of those things looking back that i go they let us smoke cigarettes um and i remember we would be sitting there waiting for the bell to ring, and everybody would have a cigarette out in their hand tapping it on the desk waiting for that bell to ring so they could get out in the hall to light up
2: aren't, aren't we the same age i'm 44 how old are you i'm 45 dude we're the same age I did not go to any high school where they let you smoke. What city did you go to high school? I was in a Montessori school. I don't even remember the name of it when we were in L.A. But when I was about a sophomore in high school, my dad moved us up to San Luis Obispo. And that place was phenomenal. It was a beautiful school. Um, It was predominantly white and you had, uh, there was a dress code, you certainly couldn't smoke on the campus, and if you were caught doing drugs, you were in deep shit. So, you know, there was, we had a healthy fear of the establishment, so to speak. Anyway, please continue.
0: This first, first person I made friends with, um, I suppose it doesn't matter if I say his first name, his name was Mike, and, uh, it's about a
1: bazillion mics.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, if he ever listens to this, he'll know I'm talking about him. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he says to me, "I got this friend. He's 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 a um he's a senior. He has a he has a um a Camaro with the t tops and the whole bit. And he says, if we get weed, all all we gotta do is get it and give it to him, and then you know we'll he'll we'll go race around in the hills at lunch and smoke pot and listen to Motley Crue, and it's gonna be great, right? Yeah. Oh. So, right away, I'm okay. I'm in business. I'm gonna find a way to take my lunch money and buy weed and then uh, pinch out half for me, roll joints, give some to this guy, sell some, keep some. I mean, I had a whole system where I could eat. Yeah. Anyway, so these are the friends I started making right away, you know. And so, you know, you don't, you don't realize when, you, when your parents say things, do you? Like, you know, the friends you choose now are gonna affect you for the rest of your life. All that stuff just sounds like blah, blah, blah when you're yep. a kid. God, looking back, oh, my God. I mean, yeah, that couldn't have gone any, it couldn't be more true. So I make all these friends, and, um, and uh, you know, each one's into exactly that. So uh, eventually we end up getting into meth. We started doing it together, and um, all I know is that when I hit that stuff, all I could think about is how can I get more, more. Well, I would do anything. I would do anything. I lost my mind. I did it only for a short time. And, and uh, I wanted to do it all the time. And I started to see my friends doing it all the time. And, and I started, uh, one of them ended up robbing me, just taking a stereo and some things so he could go get some more. And I got scared. I said, this ain't, this ain't for me. And uh, so I said, okay, I got to make a conscious decision here. And um, <laughs> this is me being um, a real mature, probably 16 year old at the time. I said, uh, I got to choose drugs or alcohol. And i I said, you know alcohol's fun, and it's you don't have to hide and do it, and there's parties, and when I get older, there'll be bars, and my family does it, and I'm just going to drink i'm gonna be a good guy and just drink so i did I, I i i I cut it all out um you know, and a side note on all that is all those guys that 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 uh that I was doing that meth with are still doing it, and the last I can check I've heard they're in and out of prison now, and I mean it's a mess, so they kept going and uh, that's a long run. Oh, it's a hell of a long I can't That's believe... A, yeah, I, I can't, can't believe, believe. he's still alive. No, I know. Not, not one is, is, is past yet. and It's amazing to me. But, um, yeah, they're still going. I mean, the ones... They live with their parents. I mean, I'm 45 years old. <laughs> I can't imagine living with my parents. But No, God. No. what they do. Like, in motorhomes, in their backyards and stuff <sighs> like that. I mean, you know, the, the story that goes with meth. You know, I, I suppose on that end... I made a good turn at that point, but at the same time, you know, I just doubled down on booze. You know, I thought, well, if I don't do all that, all I do is drink and um, I didn't even know what i I used to say only in America could they make up something called alcoholism. Uh, look at these European countries in Mexico, everybody drinks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they don't have any problems. And I said this is bullshit this this alcoholism. there's no such thing no and and i and I, and i and I really thought I'd say. And nobody ever died from alcohol.
1: I really thought that,
0: <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'm doing it. I'm
1: obviously, obviously doing it. didn't do any due diligence.
0: No, no, I, I <laughs> went my opinion by studying nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously, I'm right, right? I'm 16. So, you know, all through high school, just you know, drinking and chasing girls, and you know, I mean, it's. I suppose it's innocent to a point, but you know I'm driving cars, and you know I got a a guardian angel looking at me because I should should, should have been dead a hundred times already. Amen, Um, brother. Yeah, so uh, you know we get out of high school, and um, I get out of there by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I just barely put it together to graduate, and not because I couldn't understand the classes. I just refused to show up. I hated it. I was bored. I didn't. I wasn't challenged. I didn't want to be there. I thought I was better than all of it. And so I stuck it through somehow and I got out. So, uh, from there I kind of flip flopped around and, um, was, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, at one point I moved to, uh, Florida for an entire summer. Um, Orlando, Florida. I, I thought I'd learn how to become a professional water skier. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, so I, was, I was living with my mom, you know, of, I was out of high school and I was living at home and, uh, My mom took off down to on a vacation somewhere and i left her a note said i moved to florida i'll call you when i have a phone number i'm gonna be a professional water skier (laughs) so she got home and i was gone so uh, that didn't work out i didn't like there um and uh, (laughs) i was trying to did it last before you figured it out one summer i was living with my stepmother uh, my step aunt and uncle and um you know i was trying to do what I do which is drink way too much and, mm-hmm. and be a maniac and you know they, they weren't really like that so it's kind of hard for me to hide and um so I just decided I hate Florida I need to go back to California so I come back to California and I uh, decide well when I go back to California I'll move down to San Diego spend some time with my dad maybe I'll find myself down there right so uh, I go down there and um I wasn't doing anything there. I was just waiting tables and trying to figure out what to do with my life. But um, I can remember when I lived in that house, I had my first absolutely alcoholic moment where I thought to myself, something's different about me. And um, they had gone somewhere, they were gone. And uh, I was at the house by myself. I lived in you know, a big old house with a pool. And um, I could have friends over, I could go, I can do whatever I want, you know? I mean, I'm. mean, I'm 19, I had a fake idea, I could go to the clubs, the bars, whatever I want to do. But I decided that it sounded fun to sit at home and see if I could drink an entire bottle of gin by myself, see what that would be like, with no one else around. And so I did it, and uh, I liked it. And I remember the next day going, that ain't right, like, why would you want to do that? You know, there's nobody there, you're not talking to anybody, you're just sitting there drinking." But for whatever reason, I liked it. And uh, that's where drinking alone started. I didn't always drink alone after that, but I sure as hell wasn't afraid to do it. So, uh, you know, I started to realize that there was something up with me and um, it didn't make me want to stop or seek change, but it definitely made me wonder where this was headed. And um, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew that maybe this wasn't something that could last too long. Um, living in San Diego for a while, I decided at one point, screw all this, I'm going back to Los Angeles. I got a buddy up there who um, is starting an auto detail business. And I got another buddy who's um, doing auto body, and he's got his own shop. And we could all kind of get together and uh, have our own business. So we opened up this little shop. And, they they had, we had the shop and we went out and got cars and did cars and uh there was um another partner in the business that um stole cars and uh, <laughs> oh, yeah yeah and then yeah. so now yeah he's got he's got um cars that he's stealing and uh, then you go get the wrecked cars out of the auction and you take the VIN numbers off the bad car and put it on the good car that you just stole. And now the wrecked car becomes the new car kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I was aware of it. I was around it. I rode in the cars. Um, you know, we got chased by the cops a bunch of, you know, cause if you got pulled over in one of those, you didn't want to have to see the cop cause he might figure out what was going on. So yep. like, we ditch them. And I mean, yeah, just drunk so at that point, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, well, you know, if we get pulled over for drinking and driving, we ain't stopping. So what's the difference? So <laughs> we just would load the car up with as much as a rolling bar. Oh, they ain't going to pull us over anyway because we ain't stopping. If They get us. They're going to get us. So this is what we're doing back then. <laughs> this is about the time that the L.A. rave scene was going on. So, you know, the, the club starts at two in the morning. And uh, the, the, the fact that I could drink until six, seven in the morning, no drugs. I would just drink. Like, I, I didn't even realize everybody around me was on drugs. That's how they stayed up all night. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. I was that naive. I just drank. And I mean, I would just disgusted, drunk, but, you know, hey, I would do it. And um, so, you know, we're running around with um, stolen cars, drinking and driving, and, you know, chasing girls, same old, being, being young, being in our early 20s. So, at that point, we had, I had made a um, group of friends that um, owned a hair salon. We did some work for them with their cars. We'd pick up the cars and bring them back to them at the end of the day, and we'd bring them back. They'd be sitting there, and they would have a bucket of beer on ice. Um, good old Mexican guy named Max that worked there. He's still there. And uh, he'd ice down the Bohemias and the Modelos and all the Mexican beers and- We'd pull up and they'd be sitting there counting all their cash, drinking ice cold beer, and I'd be filthy with bloody knuckles. And I'm going, I'm doing this all wrong. So I did, <laughs> well, we decided one night after I had a whole lot to drink, way too much. Um, he says, uh, you know, anybody can do those cars like you're doing. Why don't you go to school and um, become a hairstylist? You know, and, uh, do, some, do something where you can make some good money. And I saw what they were making and I said, that's for me. I can't believe I didn't think of that already. You know, you get paid to hang around girls. All day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you do their hair and they hand you all this cash and you can wear nice clothes and you know, so sure beats what I'm doing. So I, I did, I went to school and um, I came back um, after I was done and I said, You remember that night we had all those beers and you said for me to go get my license and and then if I did I could work here? And they said, Yeah and I said, Well, I did, I, I went and got it <laughs> So they said, Oh shit, you actually went and I said, Yeah I said, Well I guess you'd work here then
1: so, going, <laughs> this is it, man. this is crazy.
0: Yeah. So this is as of as of last month, October is always my anniversary. Of how many? that was 22 years ago exactly when I started doing hair. So we're, we're 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 um doing the hair salon thing, and um I mean I'm just I'm 21 and I'm 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 just full of attitude. You know I'm out there and out there in Southern California, and I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm the bomb, man. I'm 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 the, the, the Hollywood hairdresser. You know, don't you know who I am? Yep. I got all the cash and all the girls love me. And, and uh, you know, I go in the bars and throw money around like, you know, like, <laughs> it's just like a crazy person just throwing right. money. It was nothing for us to go out on a Tuesday, Wednesday night and drop $500 on dinner and drinks. I mean, we just thought that and we thought we were so cool that we did that. So now I'm thinking, you know, I really got my shit together because I'm making a lot of money. You know, isn't that all there is to life—is make a lot of money? You know, it doesn't matter that I drink way too much and you know that it's 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 having negative effects on my life. uh, The money keeps coming in, and that's all that counts. So here I am, kind of in the same situation I was as when I was doing cars, but now there's a whole lot more money. And um, you know, I I had enough where I went and bought myself a big old BMW 7 Series and. I I wear these tailored shirts with French cufflinks and (laughs) the whole bit. I really thought I was something else. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I would drive home. I I would drive home and I I just thought of this story today and, and I was some kind of laughing and kind of sad about it at the same time. I'm probably the only person I ever know that got cut off at Taco Bell. I was driving home and I went through Taco Bell to get food And they said, I got to the window, and they said, you need to get out of here. You're too drunk. (laughs) They wouldn't give me food.
2: got to be kidding me.
0: And I went home, and I said, did I just get cut off at Taco Bell? (laughs) And I drove a car? That ain't good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I had people follow me home because they didn't think that I could drive, and they said that I was driving on the wrong side of the road. I mean, just that I didn't kill anybody, let alone myself. You know, it's just by the grace of God. It really is, and um, I do know that now. That lets me know at this point in my life that there's obviously was more of a plan for me than that, because otherwise, you know, I should have just put it into a into a foam pole years back and been done. Yeah. Uh, so I'm living over there in the same area by the salon that I work in, and I've run my course on every bar in the neighborhood. I mean, I'm just I've been out with too many girls in town and, and everyone knows me and I've done too much, I just, I've, in my own mind I've made an ass out of myself too many places now, so it's time to go. So I decide that I'm going to move off to um, Long Beach, which is just far enough away. If you're familiar with Long Beach, Long Beach um, is sort of uh, a little um, port town that juts out in the ocean all on its own, it's on the way to nothing. So you don't go to Long Beach unless you're going to Long Beach. There's no, you never cut through Long Beach to go anywhere. <laughs> you can hide. are real good. This is what I'm getting at. So there's Long a lot beach, of
1: partying in Long Beach.
0: Oh, and it's a ton of bars, and everybody there. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got a you know a drinking problem like me, which which sounds like it's going to suit me well, and um, you know, and I can hide, and no one will know, and you know. But I, that's not the reasons I'm telling myself at this point. I'm just saying it's time for a change of view, and I want to live at the beach, so. I did. I got, I got a little house right on the sand. And uh, I mean, you walk out the door, you're on the sand. So I thought, you know, again, look at me. I've arrived. I'm, I, got a, I got a house on the, on the sand and I live at the beach and I work over there and I make all this money and everything's good. But the only problem with that was I went from knowing everybody and having a ton of friends to not knowing anyone. And I didn't know a person there. So now I'm still drinking the same but there's nobody around, so it ain't very fun, you know. and uh, those who are around, my immediate neighbors are looking at me like, who are you, and what, what, you know, what is your problem, no one looked at me like that where I was from, so I started thinking maybe I made the wrong move, mm-hmm. but, but too late, you know, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong, and I'm going to make this work. About that time, my sister, my, uh, a friend of mine, who was dating my sister also, decided they were moving to Long Beach. So they moved to Long Beach. And I, they, I, they, they can, we kind of all do the same thing. So I had them and um, what ended up happening was uh, my sister and that guy broke up and my sister says, well, I wanna come live with you because I don't wanna live with him anymore. So she moves in with me and uh, she's seeing me how I am now. And I mean, she knows I drink, but not like this. And she's going, Jesus, do you ever eat? Do you, I mean, do you ever do anything but drink? And so, She gets out of there. She meets a guy and she meets a guy way over in Temecula, which is out there two, two, three hours away. And says, um, yeah, I'm gonna go live with him. So she went and live with him. She married, they got divorced now, but they they were married. Um, But uh, so um, I'm out there by myself again. And um, I meet a girl, we move in together. She drinks just as much, if not more than me. It's volatile, just, I mean, violence you know she's she's trying to kill me I'm sleeping with one eye open kind of thing uh um, wow finally just, yeah finally I just go you know what it's time to relocate again but I can't go back where I was and I can't stay here and I personally I'm just sick of all of this so I'm going to redo everything right you know um that whole thing with um thinking you can escape your problems by moving but you know the, only the geographics. Yeah, the geographics, but the only problem is you keep bringing yourself with you. Exactly. <laughs> so, if I bring myself with me down to San Diego, my brother had uh, lived up in San Francisco for many years, and um, he'd gotten himself into some trouble with um, alcohol and drugs up there, and uh, his his marriage was suffering on the count of it. And his wife said, "We're moving away from here, and we're coming down to San Diego." I want to be closer to my family her family's in orange county so she said you know i'm going to be closer to my family if you're going to if i got to be worried about you like that so uh he moves down there to um, encinitas uh, which is north county san diego beautiful town just hippies and surfers and it's changed a bit now but when i got there it was it, it was it's just one of these kind of the hippies and the hippies kids and surfing and real nice little town so I go down there and um, I said yeah I'll get a little place to live and I'm gonna come live over there by you Jeff that's my brother Jeff and uh, he says why you gonna live don't go get a place just live with us like you know say you're not gonna have any money anyway cuz you don't have any customers and just come live with us and build your business and you know we'll we'll, you'll be fine I I could use the company anyway cuz I don't I don't want to be you know I don't even want to be here in San Diego and you know it'll be nice to have you around so I said okay I mean, I've gone from having my own beach house and you know amenities and thinking I'm living like a king. And now I'm living in a bedroom out of a suitcase. And I don't know anybody. And I'm living with somebody who's supporting me now. And I don't have any money. And uh, this is the uh, telltale signs that this whole thing's blowing up. It ain't working. But my brother, at this point, drank just as much, if not more, than I did so i had that going yeah and he was making a lot of money because he's in the mortgage industry at that time was just all you had to do was show up and you you, i mean just tons of money at that time tons of money tons of money the the like he would say the the money truck delivers daily around here yep he didn't care he didn't care that i wasn't making money because he just he was just throwing money and i was i was taking it and uh he, you know his wife. She, I love. I love my sister-in-law. She's just so patient because she put up with our dumbasses. I'm experiencing kind of what it is to have someone in your life who's like a wife. You know, it's, I'm just living there, but you know, she's making dinner for us every night, and I'm seeing God. That's really nice. You know, someone that kind of takes care of you. And I never had that before. I like get girlfriends, but you know, they don't. <laughs> they don't cook. <laughs> so (laughs) they don't do much (laughs) they just kind of sit there and look pretty so you know i'm just thinking oh man you know why am i i should i should be doing more but i'm not and so that you know that sort of that sort of spins you out and makes you depressed and then you drink more and then things get worse and uh about a year into living with my brother um I had noticed that my right testicle was getting larger, and then the next week it had gotten even larger, and then the next week it was like freak show large, and I'm going, I must have got a STD, but I hadn't even had a girl in so long since I've been down there, so I'm thinking, okay, I hadn't done nothing like that, maybe that's a hernia, I go to the doctor and uh, see a uh, urologist. a urologist.: No? Testicular cancer. Oh no! Yeah, he says you got testicular cancer. He says uh, that's testicular cancer. Have you eaten lunch today? This is I was there in the afternoon, and I said, um, yes. As a matter of fact, I have. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and <he> says, uh, <laughs> oh my God! And he says no. I didn't. I was hoping you wouldn't. You hadn't eaten because we need to go to surgery right now. And he said, I can't do surgery when you've eaten. You know, you have to wait, I forget what it is, eight hours or something like that, since your last meal, before they can um, put you under. So um, he goes, go home, don't eat, don't drink anything, water, not just alcohol water or anything. And uh, I'll see you back here. So, I mean, that afternoon, I'm told I have testicular cancer. That evening, I'm there and uh, they removed it. Uh, just, just the right one, so you know. Um, Unfortunately, you know, you you get two of a lot of things in life and so you can go on.
1: But, you know, it scared the hell
0: out of me because now they said, you know, we have to do, uh, we have to wait for your lab results to come back and it's going to take about a week to 10 days um, before we know if it's spread in your body. If it's spread in your body, that's trouble. If it makes it to your lymph nodes, that's where it shoots out to the rest of your body and your you're you're you're, you're, you know then you're in trouble that's kind of what happened with lance armstrong so um know i read his book right away to see how it went for him and it went terrible for him he lived but he went went to hell and back yeah so i get i get the call from them you know drum roll you're lucky again in life i'm lucky it hadn't spread it was all gone if they said if there was any it was in trace amounts and it would be um it would be taken care of through radiation So I went through radiation treatments. And um, uh, to back up a little bit on that, that surgery that day, I wasn't prepared for, and I also didn't have health insurance. And my brother, again, who was making a lot of money, said, I'll pay for it. So he, he paid cash for that surgery. The things he did for me were so phenomenal, and he's so giving, and at the same time, we got into such a dark place with the alcohol too that it's just so confusing sometimes to sort those two out because he was such a good, giving, loving brother who cared so much about me. But at the same time, God, alcohol just screws all that up. And, um, you know, there was just darkness at the end, which we'll get into. But, um, you know, so I have the surgery and I go into radiation and um, I have all my treatments and uh, they say, don't drink during radiation. So I don't drink, Um, which I think it was, if I remember right, I had to do, three weeks of uh, radiation treatments, and I did all of them. And uh, the day I got done, I couldn't wait. I got right to the store. Vodka. Let's get it going. I mean, I didn't even think twice about you just got a second chance here. And maybe you start to think about your life. All I could think about was when can I drink again? Well, you were celebrating. Celebrating. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and it makes sense now to say, you know, how uh, how ungrateful I was. But at the time. It didn't even occur to me. It didn't even occur to me to be grateful and to possibly look at changing my life. It just was, let's celebrate. And I remember we went, I got done with my last treatment, and uh, I bought all this liquor. And um, my brother says, let's take, I got to take the dogs over and run them at the park, and then we can drink. And I said, oh, come on, man, let's just skip it. And he goes, would you just relax, man? We got to do this first and then we'll drink. And I said, all right. So we went and ran the dogs. I remember just being there going, God, let's get out of here. I just want to (laughs) drink. Which is just, I just finished radiation that (laughs) afternoon. So we drank and we drank and we drank. And um, we got just obnoxiously drunk constantly. And um, I mean, just not even fun drunk, like anesthetized scary drunk and um, I only know that because there would be times maybe where my brother was at a level that I wasn't yet and I would see him and I knew that I did that so I must look like that when I got there and I would be like this isn't good in 2003 he got a DUI and um, they took away his license for 30 days And uh, he said, I'm not going to go away. I'm not going to deal with not driving for 30 days. I'm going to go on a vacation to Australia for 30 days and drink as much as I want down there. And when I come back, I'll just have my license again. So he left me at the house. Well, at that time, there was these big fires in Southern California. Everything was on fire around there. Everything. Yeah, they told us to evacuate. Get out of here. I said, I'm staying. But you had to kind of stay in the house because you couldn't go outside. It It was really smoky. So you really had to stay indoors and kind of stuff towels underneath everything. I just went to the store and stocked up. I sat there by myself during the 2003 fires and just drank and drank and drank. <laughs> and I remember sitting there going, "You're not having fun now. What is this?" But I sure as I couldn't make myself stop at that point. So, at a certain point, my uh, my sister-in-law just tells my brother, "You and your little brother need to go your separate ways. <laughs> he's got to go. He's got to do something." And yeah. He's- so he call he he comes to me one day and he goes, dude, I said, I already know what you're gonna say, man. I already I already figured it out. I got I found a place already. I'd already found a place. I, I knew he was gonna say it and I found a place that afternoon. I was um over at a local coffee house there and somebody had put up a signed room for rent on the beach. And I was like, Cool, on the beach again. I went I, I went and talked with the guy and he, he, he let me uh, rent a room with him. We were right on the cliff right there on the beach. You look out our living room window and it's ocean i mean just beautiful you go to go to sleep with the waves you're in costa rica if you're by the coast you know what i mean oh yeah yeah it's beautiful so i move out still trying to live how i live but now i'm walking distance to the bars and stuff because it's kind of right by the downtown area so i can still go over and do all that stuff and i start to meet drunk friends just like me just like i have everywhere else i've ever lived you know so you feel kind of normal because you have some friends that do the same thing but uh this roommate of mine he don't drink he never drinks I put beer in the fridge and he wouldn't even have one and I go come on dude have a beer and he goes no nah, I don't want a beer and I go, come on man have a beer with me no nah, I don't want a beer and finally one day he says to me um, you know I don't drink but I'm like I, I had a drinking problem so I stopped I'm sober I said what the hell's that? <laughs> <laughs> he would tell me he was going he was in he was in school Taking these engineering courses, he'd tell me that he was going off to study, and he would go study. But a lot of the times, as I come to find out later, he was going to meetings. Yeah, and uh, he saw me. He, he knew he knew exactly what I was doing. He's from San Luis Obispo, as a matter of fact. He <laughs> graduated from Los Osos High. Oh, that's wild, dude. <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, you know, he has his own story. But things got too bad for him, and he. We're living there together only for a short time, and uh, he's got this girlfriend, and uh, they're they're getting real serious. And they're more more than likely to get married, so they they take off to go get a place together. He says the place is yours, man. You buy out my part of the deposit, and um, if you can handle the um, the whole rent, you know you don't need to get a roommate. This place is yours, and I and I actually was making enough at that point that I could afford it. It was real cheap considering the area at the time. I mean that place is blown up, and it, I could never afford it now, but at the time I I could do it and so I was working block and a half over on Coast Highway and I lived right there on the beach and I had my own place again so I'm thinking oh man I'm back up on my feet I'm doing good living alone no one can see me close the curtains I'm gonna have a drink (laughs) so I did and I drank and I drank and I drank Then I lived alone and I hardly ever really went out anymore I didn't really want people to see me now I kind of I kind of felt bad about myself, but at the same time, I still wanted to drink. So um, I sat there and I drank, started to screw up my work again, and I wasn't making money. And uh, the economy actually started to kind of go bad at the point too. So you know, between me and the economy, it had gotten bad. And so I got a roommate. This new roommate also sober and uh, into yoga and into um, super into nutrition. Um, eating a plant-based diet and um, meditation and um, all these things that being from the east side of Los Angeles, I was just like, this guy is the biggest tool in the world. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I hated this guy. I, and, and he was, but he was the nicest guy. There was nothing wrong, but I hated him. In, and in hindsight, I hated him because he had everything I wanted <laughs> and that's what I hated, but I couldn't figure out what I hated so much about him. But I just did, and he was, he, he was at peace, and he was mellow, and he was happy, and he was healthy. He, he was vibrant healthy. I mean, God, the guy glows. He, he was, his eyes look like they were plugged into light sockets. I mean, they just, they just glow. And I look green and big dark circles under my eyes. Oh, and, man. And I'm looking at him just going, I hate that guy. Screw him, you know. And he went to USC, so I'd go, he's one of them USC kids, and his parents give him everything. And I, I found reasons to hate him. We lived together for a couple of years, and he just watches me drink and drink and drink. And um, about 2006, he had gone uh, out of town somewhere, and, and it was one of those situations where oh, I was going to be me again just by myself. And I thought, I'm going to go hard, and I went hard. It was to a point where like, I was starting to kind of feel like something was really wrong with me health-wise. And um, I think it was just kind of my body was shutting down. Because all I had been doing was drinking for many days in a row. I hadn't eaten anything. I was sitting there, wow, I, I was scared. I, I, I mean, who do you call when you're scared but your mommy, right? <laughs> yep, I call, yep. I, I called my mom. I said, Mom, I think I need some help. And I remember before I made that call, I sat there staring at the phone and I go, If you make this freaking phone call, that's it, man. Like, you're out at that point. <laughs> everyone's going to know you're an alcoholic because they don't know already, stupid. <laughs> you know, but in your mind, you're going, God, everyone's going to know. And then that's it. You've put yourself out. Once you close that door, that's it. That's why you see so many alcoholics leave it cracked a little bit, you know? Like, oh, I only drink on the weekends kind of thing. I mean, anything just so they can still do it. But once I close that door, I know I've closed it. And so she came and got me next day, rehab. I did 28 days place called A Better Tomorrow out in Temecula, California. I got out of there and uh, came home to my roommate, my, my really healthy roommate <laughs> and he's looking at me, he goes, where you been? And I said, I was just getting, some, my, getting my head together and he goes, well, that's good, man, I'm proud of you. And I said, he knew what I was doing, but we didn't talk about it. He lived there with me, I was sober. I was eating my body weight in ice cream every day at this point, putting on a ton of weight. <laughs> it just, you know, I, I was hitting the gym real hard, lifting weights, and eating ice cream and steaks, and just, I mean, I, I was just getting gigantic. I, I, I started to look like a WWF guy. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, you know. You know, if there's one thing I learned about it is I am wired a certain way. And if I'm going to do something, I do it. And so I'm, I got to find balance, but it's got to be the right things. And I was doing that all wrong at the time. But at least it, was, it really was better than drinking. He ends up moving out. And I live alone again. So now it's up to me to just do it with no one looking, right? Because I, I can get away with it. There ain't nobody around. I can go, shit, the store's right there. I can go get it whenever I want. I schedule my own work. I don't even have to schedule myself to work if I don't want to. There's nothing making me do anything. I don't have kids, I don't have a wife, I don't have anybody to answer to except myself. I stayed sober for a while, and I'll be honest with you, I really don't know how long, I can't remember. It wasn't long though, it was long enough to make me very angry and very irritated with every last bit of everything. I remember I would scream at the helicopters that flew over the house because they were too loud. I'm yelling at helicopters. I'll picture <laughs> you know? that. Yeah, you know, because along the coastline, they use it as a flight line. So they come by all day long, and I'm screaming at them. I mean, I've, I've lost my mind. I'm not, I'm not happily sober. All I'm doing is not drinking. I went to a meeting, and this old tyrant there was sharing and he said something to the effect of, you know, the dry drunks, and if you're going to be pissed off and you're going to go through life being pissed off at everything around you, you might as well just drink again. Uh-oh now i know what he meant but at the time man i was just looking for a reason
2: mm-hmm.
0: he said that and i said cool and i was back out so i was doing it again but i was really really measured with it this time a little bit i'd only buy a pint not a whole fifth because you know whatever i buy i'll drink olive so i'd only get a pint and then uh, i and then i and then i discovered that if i smoke marijuana It makes me not want to drink anymore so i'll drink and when i know i need to stop drinking i'll smoke some pot and then i'll eat and i'll fall asleep (laughs) this is my plan and then you know i'd go through some times where i wouldn't i would i would get sober for some time because i still was really i was i was always that's the you know that's the constant thing about all of this is it sounds like i was just doing nothing but struggling but there was times where i was on a good run and i started to kind of see the the light come on but then i'd put it back out and I would get some good months put together of, of sobriety. And then I would go, okay, I'm good now. I can do it again. And I'd go try again, and it wouldn't go good. And back and forth, back and forth. Relapse, get better. Relapse, get better. But I always went back to those meetings, and it was right there by my house. I, divine intervention, when you look back on this whole thing, I move in with a guy who's sober. He moves out immediately, but I get a glimpse of what sobriety's like. There's a meeting walking distance from the house in this little neighborhood by the beach. Uh, yeah, I'm going, saw. So I, I got that now. I mean, I got little things that are helping me. I'm trying, but I'm failing and I keep failing and then I keep trying. I, a guy moved in next door to me in this little place and um, we ended up becoming really good friends. I told him, even if he didn't see, he never saw me do it and I figured it was best if I told him that I was sober so that I wouldn't drink. And so I said, yeah, I just don't drink. I haven't drank in, in years. I just told him that and um, if i did do it i made sure he didn't see it and then when i hung out with him he would drink and he smoked pot he did all that but but, um i just wouldn't do it one day i said give me a beer man and he goes no you're not supposed to and i said i said i decided all that's stupid man it's making me crazy give me a beer and he goes whatever man if that's what you want to do so you give me he doesn't he doesn't realize what this is all about you know so he gives me a beer and um i'm off to the races so I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe I'm normal again. I can do this, you know, same, same old, same old, get better, get get better, get sick, get better, get sick. Just hell, a hell, hell of life trying to, to, to convince myself that I can drink like a normal person. One day, everyone's over my house and we're drinking and um, I got that extra bedroom sitting there. And at this point, you know, that room is worth, you know, close to $1,000 a month. And so my friends are like, why don't you rent that room, man? Like, that's a lot of cash every 30 days. And you're just sitting on it. I mean, yep. you know, I got nothing in there. I had like two surfboards in there. That was all that was in there. They're like, that's stupid. I'm like, I ain't living with anybody, man. I'm, I, I, my last roommate was a nightmare. He was into yoga and meditation and I hated him. <laughs> 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 yeah. I ain't doing oh my nothing. God. Yeah, so I said, you know what? I said, I'll show you. I'll show you how this goes. I'm going to put an ad on Craigslist. And then, um, you know, it's, it's real tight quarters where we live right there. So anybody that comes in and out of our little compound where we live, everyone sees them. I said, you'll see the freaks that show up to, to rent this room. You'll see why I don't rent the damn room. So I put an ad and it says, you know, room for rent on the bluff, Encinitas. Just email, don't call me. We'll discuss it later, something like that. Real short and curt. I had no intentions of renting the room to anybody. So this girl, Morgan, emails me and says, I want to come look at it and i said all right yeah come look at it so she shows up she's a grad student at um UCSD and uh, she's from Illinois from a small town over there and um, she says that she's when she moved out here to go to grad school her goal was to always live on the beach even just for a little bit she wanted to do it before she left so she's gonna check it off the list and she loves it here and it's beautiful and i'm looking at her and she's this really sweet cute girl and i'm thinking there's nothing wrong there right <laughs> she's probably gonna <laughs> put some plants and some candles and make the you know i mean a dude's a dude <laughs> i can use a woman's touch around this place it would look nice you know it'd be nice to have all that so i said yeah you can come <laughs> so she moves in <laughs> and, uh, but now you know we're back in the situation where i got a kind of like try to do my thing without someone noticing because i know it ain't normal and i know most people don't do this and so if she kind of recognizes it, she's gonna think i'm a freak so i'm maintaining it a little bit we end up being really close and uh we started dating morgan's my wife now oh wow yeah so you know i get excuse me Good time it's an emotional thing for me to talk about because I wanted so bad at that time to instantaneously be normal for her to be correctly sober for her to be to I used to say before I met her I got so much love in my heart and I got nowhere to get it and then she was there and it's time it's time it's time now and i ain't ready you know because i ain't ready this doesn't just in my mind at that time this doesn't just happen immediately this is going to take forever and in the meantime she's going to see it right yeah so my thought was at the time she i drank in front of her she didn't think that anything was wrong Well, she sort of did. She knew I drank too much, but she didn't know that there was the problems that had been in the past. She didn't know me well enough yet. Um,
1: This was before we were together,
0: actually. She would just, and I would say, do you want a drink? And she would have like two sips of one and I'd mix them like they were for an alcoholic. I mean, there's all booze and just a little bit of juice. And she's like, Jesus Christ. And I'd be like, "Uh, I don't even know how to make a drink for a normal person anymore. You know, I'm like, anyway, so... She said to me one day, she goes, you know, you do cocktail hour every night. That's a little much, don't you think? And I got real mad and I snapped at her. But I just remember thinking, oh, shit. Like, God damn it, she's noticing. So I reeled it in a little bit and uh, maintained. And like I said, we, I, I put together some time while we were getting to know each other. And we got together and we were dating. And uh, But then I slipped back out. And um, she went out of town for something, and again here I am alone, no one's watching. And in my mind, I'm going to make up for lost time, right? Yeah. She ain't here now, and you've been dying to get drunk, man. Like get real drunk, not not just this half-ass fake drunk. Like let's do the real thing. She ain't here now. She she was she, she went home. You know, she went home for for. Uh, to see her family and you know, I, I didn't go and so. And you know, she'd be, she's gone for whatever it is that she was gone for, you know, two weeks or something. And I mean, I lost every one of those days, man. Like I couldn't tell you, I can't, I, like one of the, this happened a bunch of times. Every time she'd go out of town, I'd go hard. And then I'd screw up. And then she'd come home and I'd be a wreck and then I'd have to go to the hospital because I, I, cause my detox would be that hard because you can't just remove the alcohol once you've been doing that. No, it was just ridiculous, and I just kept doing it. It was almost like I was trying to make her just go away, but I knew I wasn't. She stuck with me, though, and when I would be getting better, I would tell her I'm going to be better, I'm going to be better. You know, I would say those things that everybody says, yeah, we and all I, say it. And I, I'd said to family or other people who had cared about me in the past, and they'd say, you know, yeah, you know what, F you. Yeah, right, okay, sure, show me, you know, just, why, why don't you just show me? But she would say, I believe you. I believe in you. I know you're going to. Something about that, someone who, genu- someone who, was, who, someone who was saying to me, I genuinely believe in you, not just... Not just, um, you know, people say things just to say things to make you feel better. She meant it. I believe in you. Do it. I believe in you. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this person believes in me. No one believes in me. No one believes in me that I can do this. Nobody. My whole family can't do it. And they should. So why would they believe that I could do it? None of us ever have. And so I just made a commitment that I was going to do it. And... Uh, I bottomed out a bunch of times while I was with her. She, I, I, I'll be honest. I can't even count towards the end how many times I ended up back in the emergency room because I was, you know, you get the, you, you get the seizures, and then they give you um, what were those pills called? I'm glad I don't remember the names of them. I don't remember. They're benzos. They, they keep you from. Yeah, having benzodiazepine. Seizures. Yeah, Librium. That was the name of the actual pill. Okay. And um, yeah, so I'd go get some Librium and then I get better then she I I do it again she can't even talk about it to this point it gets her too upset she goes I I don't know I did I and I and I never will do that again you can trust me on that but um she did somehow and there was one there was one time at the 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 last time before January eleventh, two 2012 the last time that I got drunk and got sick and got pills that I was at home no, you know the last time I didn't go to the hospital, I actually had to go through the um through the uh, detox. I'm laying there and I'm shaking and sweating and and I can't hold down food and uh you know a little bit I I can't sleep for days on end. And um, she's in that she's laying there with me. She's not necessarily um stroking my hair and telling me she loves me, but she's there next to me and um, going through it with me, not leaving. And uh I just told her I had found a sponsor at that point, and I had been working with him, and uh, we had gone through the steps together. And I really felt that night—you know—it's one of those, it's one of those, um, one of those moments that there's really no way to convey it with words. I was done, and yeah. I told her. I said, "You know, there's no way that I even expect you to believe what I'm saying to you." And you don't have to, you can just believe me once it's happened, but I'm telling you, this was it. She's like, I believe you, okay. And I'm like, no, you don't, and she's like, okay. <laughs> like, she's like, you don't have to convince me. So, and, and that, that was it. I mean, I just, I have, I haven't drank since. Um, I, I stayed in the program uh, in Encinitas um, until, uh, until we, uh, she finished grad school and from there, she had a fellowship she had to do um, out in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, she came to me and said, we're going to St. Louis, uh, uh, um, she, she didn't say we're going, she said, you know, I'm done with fellowship, I'm done with uh, grad school pretty soon. And then the next step is I have to go to St. Louis, Missouri for this thing uh, for two years for my, for, um, at Wash U. What are we going to do? And I'm going St. Louis. I got that California attitude at this point. There's no, you know, it's the center of the universe. There's no one, there's nowhere else in the world to live except right variety. Everywhere else sucks. And, you know, we're, we're in California. <laughs> I, what, what is that? You know, you just you talk about a paradigm that you get sucked into. <laughs> so at the time, though, I'm going, why are you doing this to me? You know, but then I start to think about it. And I'm going, that's it. You're sober and you'll move and no one will know you like that. And this time, you're bringing yourself with you, and you're good. And you have a whole new chance to just do anything you want. Anything's open to you at this point. I don't have to drive down the streets and see the ghosts of past anymore. Not that I I couldn't handle that if I would have stayed there. But, boy, that sure would be nice if I didn't have to. And it would just be different and new. And, yeah, let's go. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to just go to St. Louis, Missouri with some girlfriend, I'm going to ask her to marry me. So I did. I asked her to marry me and um, I uh, bought the ring on a Wednesday and I knew I wouldn't be able to keep it a secret because she knows when I'm lying or when I'm holding something in, so I asked her that night. take the bus down to, down to, um, down to La Jolla from, um, from, from where we live, just about 15 miles down the coast. And, um, she would just take the bus because it was easier. I'd go meet her at the bus stop a lot of times and we'd just walk with each other home or whatever. And I met her up there one day and I said, come up the hill with me. I got to return this library book. And I had this book that my sponsor gave me actually. It was, um, I wish I could remember the name of it. It's one of those ones about the promises. And, uh, and I was going to ask her before we got up to the library because there's this little viewpoint of all the ocean up there. But she was on the phone and I couldn't get her to get off the phone. And so we got to the book drop and I had to put my book in the book drop. <laughs> I lost my
1: book. Oh,
0: man. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, we get her and I asked her to marry me. And um, she, couldn't, she, she couldn't believe it. She said yes. Well, first she said, um, she said, um, are you fucking kidding?
1: And then she said yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, you know, she wasn't expecting. It. I, I definitely um, surprised her. So uh, we pack up and we move. We go out to St. Louis, and um, you know, the great thing about the rest of the story is that I never drank again. And um, I and, and I never will. Um, you know, I know we can all be saved one day at a time, and we and we're doing good today. And there's always the chance, but you know, as of right now, in the mind I'm in, yeah, the no, never, and you know, that's that's how I feel today, and that's what counts. Um, but uh, we went to St. Louis, and uh, we got married out in St. Louis, Missouri. We invited about, I think we invited about 300 people, and about half of that showed up you know, it was mainly family and just close friends because it was a destination wedding with a destination of St. Louis. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Still a destination. Yeah. Yeah. It was def- definitely. And I, you know, it was, it was a lot to ask anybody that came. I was just so shocked that they did. And I was so grateful because it was, you know, it was a lot to do for yeah. for me to come see me get married and to see us get married, you know? And so we did that. We, uh, we, we were living in St. Louis and um, the first year, um, Anniversary, we went up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan uh, during the fall to go see the uh, fall colors change and and to just go go hike and be out in nature. You know that, like I say, my higher power is is, is, is as it turns out is just being being in nature and being being around beauty. While we're up there, um, my brother had told me that he he was getting um he had a lump in his tongue and he was going to go see the doctor and. Uh, he didn't think it was gonna be a good prognosis. Well, he was always kind of a pessimist. And so I said, it's gonna be fine, you know? And he goes, no, I don't, I don't think it's gonna be a good thing. And so while we were up there, I talked to him and they said it's cancer, it's uh, oral cancer. And so him and my mom had always been at each other's throats, him mainly at her throat. And he's just real resentful and alcoholic stuff. I said, Well, are you gonna tell mom? And he goes, no. I so what do you mean, no, you got to tell mom. I mean, it's your mother. You got to tell her you have cancer. And he's like, you tell her. So, you know, I'm on my one year anniversary and I got to call my mom and tell her, you know, I don't resent him for that. But, you know, I just, I just remember thinking to myself, come on, man, you know, you got to, <laughs> you got to let this stuff go. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so he, that was on a one year anniversary and um, he fought it for quite a while. Um. We just we just celebrated our third year anniversary in October, and he died in July. So you know we're looking at close to two years he fought. Um, when I say he fought, I mean he sat. He went through the he went through what the uh, doctors told him to do. He took all the medications. They removed a good portion of his tongue, and then they removed more of it, and then they removed parts of his throat, and then they removed his voice box. Um, they just kept cutting. Off and radiating them in chemotherapy even further. Um I know just because I saw pictures that he was still drinking during this, um, I don't know how much. You know, I know how we drink, and if it is we do drink, it's always too much. And at that point a little is too much is in my opinion, and that's only my opinion. But um He uh, slowly but surely pushed everybody away. Um, At one point, my dad was living up there with him because of the chaotic lives that everybody in my family has. He had to go live up there for a little bit. And um, my brother was going in for a surgery, and he texts my dad from the surgery waiting room. Like, he's getting ready to go in surgery, and he texts him and says, get the fuck out of my house. Don't ever come back. Like, I don't know who the I don't I even mean, he told him off and just told him to get lost right before he went in surgery and my dad was like heartbroken and went yeah. home and got to San Diego and I'm like, what are you that, that is just what are you doing, man? You know? And like so I tried to talk with him and I really like he you know, he did these things that were were of the outrageous alcoholic, chaotic nature and it'd be so easy for me to just go, you know what, you dumb mother But I I would try to gently work with them. You know, we need to kind of, dude, you kind of get them to do that, you know. Have you talked, are you still going to see, because he had, before, you know, back up in the story, before all this, he had gotten a DUI. He crashed into a, his second DUI, um, he had crashed his car into a bunch of parked cars, and he blew a .30 and had to go to the hospital. Wow. Yeah, and so um, they put an interlock on his car, and he had to go to all these, counseling and he was supposed to go to jail but the jail was too full so they sent him home and his daughter saw that he had the interlock thing and he had to tell her what was going on and you know he had you know she, she trust me she's aware that he that he's an alcoholic yeah He'd been pretty much every weekend her whole life so you know it was just kind of everything was adding up and he was just pissed at the world and um my mom went up there to stay with him for about three months and uh, take care of him while he was going to all his appointments. She was driving him back and forth. And when she came home, the uh, hospital was still calling her direct with updates about what's going on with him because she was up there taking care of him. And so they called her with one update and said, he his surgery's um, gonna uh, on schedule for tomorrow. We'll see him there. And she's like, surgery? She didn't know anything about it. She calls me up. He's going to surgery, and he didn't even tell me. And uh, do you know anything about it? I said, I don't know anything about it. So I call him, and I go, hey, my mom says you got surgery in the morning. I mean, are you going to tell any of us anything about this? And he goes, you know what? And he, he's telling me this with half a tongue, so I can only understand about every third, fourth word. But he's basically, you know, fuck her, and she's in my shit constantly. I've had it with her. And she was just up there waiting on him, hand and foot for three months, taking yeah. care of me. And at this point, I know that he's, he's He's living a life of anger and stress. He's still drinking alcohol. And he's not really, he's, he's not doing, he's not eating food. He's only having these nutrition shakes to give him which have no nutrition. I mean, he's not doing well. Realistically in my mind, I'm thinking that he's, he's, he's probably not gonna make it. And I'm, I just want him to find some peace before all this, before he goes. This time's running out. And, uh, you know, can we can we let this go before you go, you know? And uh, I threw the Hail Mary. And I said, look, you dumbass, you got people that love you and care about you and are trying to take care of you. And they're just concerned, man. And you treat people like shit. I said, you know, you've been handed all these... You've been handed all these things by life, these warnings, these these signs that you need to get your shit straight, and you just in you're obtuse. You just keep going, you know. You get you 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 get a DUI, you get another DUI, you get cancer, you get more cancer. You, you I mean he's he's done he's he's had all the, all these things that have happened in front of his family that have embarrassed the hell out of him. He Said how much how much do you need? When's bottom for you? Well, this is either going to wake him up or it's going to make him tell me. You know, get and I, and, I, and I had a feeling it would be that he'd tell me to get lost. But what if it worked kind of thing? Right. And uh, I mean, this is it anyway, right? He's not going to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm realistic. I know he's not going to make it. Maybe this will work. I've tried everything else. Well, you know, he just tells me, you, you, you're obviously better than the rest of us. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have all these problems that you seem to think I have. And, um, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you go help the world somewhere else? Go save the world somewhere else. I don't need you. I, I, you know, I, I got other things to deal with right now. So, oh, man. and that was about eight months before he died. We never spoke again. We never spoke. Uh, we, he couldn't really speak anyway. But we never messaged. We never emailed. I tried texting him and emailing him a handful of times, and nothing. He wouldn't. He wouldn't get back to me. He just. He just didn't want to talk to me. And um, it's whatever he. However he relayed this story to my uh, sister in law. She also doesn't want to speak to me. And then. My dad, my stepmother, my sister, they all have they all by the way, all of these people that I'm listing all are alcoholics. <laughs> they have all banded together to say that Brian is not a good guy and don't talk to him. And so we, we don't talk. Man. Which is okay. I was real taken apart about it at first and very offended and hurt. And then at one day I just kind of had this moment of clarity and it was like, what are you wishing for to be to to witness them be alcoholics? you've tried everything. You've t- I've, I, each and every one of them I have talked to in person and written an email to and said, I love you. I worry about you. I know where you are because I have the same thing. We have the same thing. We are alcoholics. I realize that you think I drink heavier and you don't have a problem because you're not as bad as I was. But I said, please don't use me as the yardstick by which you measure alcoholism. It is what it is. Be thankful that you weren't like me, but you still have a problem and it's still disrupting your life. And it's making, it's making it unmanageable. Well, that either works or it doesn't, right? And it does And uh, when he died, there was a funeral. And uh, I knew that it would be my dad and my stepmom, the, the, the Mexican side of the family, uh, basically, the Nino side, would um, be there, and it would be an absolute drunk fest. We were going to, well, not we, they were going to get together to commemorate my brother who died an alcoholic. Whether he died from alcoholism, he died from cancer. And whether the cancer was brought on by alcoholism doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is is that he his entire life was affected by alcohol. It was it was it was disaffected by alcohol. It was it was it was it was affected poorly by alcohol. He lived he lived that life that I was leaving living before. I know what he was doing. We did it together. It hurts. It's no fun. And he kept going. And he died that way. And so we're going to commemorate them that way. I didn't go. I didn't go to the funeral. And I was a little conflicted about that. My mom went. My mom, who has over the years dealt with worrying, sick about both of us and our alcoholism, went to the funeral for my alcoholic brother and watched my family drink like alcoholics. And not just get a little drunk, get fall down, blacked out, slobber, sick drunk. I didn't go, uh, and, and I, I don't have a regret for it, and, I, and I'm glad that I don't, because I, was, I wasn't sure how that was going to work out, but I don't, because, you know, prior to any of this, a um, few years back when I was relapsing, my, um, step, my step-mom's mom, my step-grandma, she, um, she died, just kind of up there in years, and she had some complications, she died, and um, I was actually on a relapse at the time, and um, a real bad one, and I couldn't get my shit straight, and I needed to get it straight in time for this funeral and I couldn't get it straight. I just didn't get it straight. Not that I couldn't, I didn't. And um, I was drunk. And my brother was down for the funeral. he came down from, he was already, but he, he moved back up to San Francisco at one point. So he was back up there. And so he came down and he was, he's calling me and I'm ditching everybody. And I didn't show up for the funeral. And, you know, A, because I was drunk, but B, I could have showed up. But I ain't going to show up in that, condition. I don't want anybody to see me. You know, other than that, that's disrespectful. I mean, Jesus, who, 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 who wants to be around and see somebody like that at somebody's funeral?
2: Yeah, man. So the whole thing was just
0: like, oh, my God, I'm terrible. I missed it. And so drink more. Oh, God, now I'm worse than I was before. And you know. so I just missed it. I missed it because I was, I was drunk, first and foremost, but also because I wouldn't appear like that. And I heard my brother went off and did his usual, and he got, you know, as, as drunk as drunk gets and, and uh, offended a lot of people and the, all the stuff that I was trying to avoid. Now, years later, it's his funeral, and I don't come, and I'm thinking to myself, they should have had the courtesy to not show up. How can, you co- how can you show up at the funeral like that with his mother sitting right there who's had to put up with this all these years and get blasted drunk? I mean, th- it doesn't occur to him. That's why I realized that, but I just wasn't going to be a part of it. I had a counselor tell me in rehab when I went back in 2006. She said, she, I told her all about how my family was, and she said, you're going to have to... Um, lose contact with them if you're, if you're going to stay sober, Brian. Unless they get better, you're going to have to lose contact with them. And I told her at that time, I said, you're freaking high. I ain't ever losing contact. That's my family you're talking about. Are yeah. you crazy? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it worked out. And um, I'd love to have them back, but, I, I, but only if they got to find it. And if they don't, that's okay. They're not obligated to stop drinking. But I'm, you know, neither is anybody obligated to bring around being around them while they do it. Absolutely. So, um, I, uh, I made a conscious decision to, um, to go with my wife when I was with her, when we first got together, I saw the opportunity here is this person that believes in you who is normal and you can go, we call them, I don't to say normal, but you know, we say normies, she's a normie and you can, you can get better and you and have a life and be away from all this this is your chance, the, the, the bus is here. <laughs> Are you ready? Because you need to be ready now, you know? And uh, it scared the shit out of me because it was like, oh God, I already see how this is all gonna pan out. And um, you know, I feel like they're back where I left them all those years ago right there and if not worse. So we leave St. Louis um, after she's done with her fellowship and um, when you're done with fellowship, um, in medical school, she's a microbiologist. So she, she's a smart
2: one. She's a smart one. Yeah.
0: Oh my God. When you, when you finish your fellowship, um, there's only a certain amount of jobs that are going to be available in the country. It could be anywhere. You don't know where you're going, which to me was so exciting. We've going anywhere. I don't even care. You know, let's just go. So um, it ended up being that we might be up in Chicago. We might be in Rhode Island or we might be in Texas. And I said, Oh my God, Texas. (laughs) Well, she gets the job in Texas. So we moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and you know what? I love it here. So I, I've, I've learned that um, the that, uh, Southern California is in the center of the universe. And, <laughs> and even in Texas, you can find some you can find some serenity. There's, yeah. there's trails to run on here and nature. And it's just I, I really enjoy it. I mean, where we are in Fort Worth, actually, it's people from all over, the, all over the country, all over the world, really, because this is kind of a booming city, and everyone's kind of moving here right now, so it, it's interesting. You meet people from all over, so it's neat right here in the city, but um, so we're living here in Texas, and um, I opened up a hair salon. I got a one-chair salon, just me and my clients. While I was in St. Louis, um, I also got certified as a um, personal um, fitness and nutrition, uh, fitness trainer and uh, nutrition advisor. I do that on the side, I, I run some, um, I run uh, a couple of, um, of uh, social media pages where I have followers that I work with them on nutrition and uh, I just wrote a book, The uh, Seven Steps for Peaceful Sobriety and uh, kinda outlined um, what we talked about before, all the, my daily practice and how I, how I found my way to sobriety. I'm a, I'm a long distance runner I'm am I'm a plant-based vegan, I'm, I'm healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. I, I not only got my life back at the end of all this, but um, I got it back in better shape than I've ever been in my life as far as how I feel. Health-wise, spiritually, mind, body, spirit, everything is in tune. It's been an amazing journey, it really has. I would encourage anyone to take the path that I took because along the way with my uh, when I met my wife, I got really into, um, changing what I put into my body because a big part of my relapsing was that I didn't feel good. In other words, when I was drinking the way that I was drinking, when I got done, I felt beat up. And then I thought, well, I'm not drinking anymore, so I can have cheeseburgers and ice cream and I can have whatever (laughs) I want to eat. I'm not drinking, right? That's the point. I'm not, well, then you feel worse. And you know, I'm getting older, and I start to get overweight, and I feel terrible, and I, I don't feel good about myself, and I can't go up a flight of stairs without running out of breath. So I start, I start juicing vegetables. I bought a juicer. I start juicing vegetables, and it makes me feel amazing. And then I'm thinking, what else could I do? <laughs> so I, st- so I just start studying nutrition. I read. Uh, uh, if uh, you're familiar with Rich Roll, he's a, um, he's a plant-based vegan and uh, ultra-distance runner uh, who's, who found sobriety um, late in life, um, and he uh, wrote a book called Finding Ultra. It's an amazing story, and I read it, and when I read it, I had never run, really, serious. I'd gone maybe on a mile here, a mile there, a couple miles maybe, but I'd never been a runner. And I was reading it, and, and, and like a good alcoholic, I said, I'm going to run a marathon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not only that,
0: I'm going to become a vegan right now. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, heard, I heard Rich Roll say it, and I'm, I'm just stealing from him when I say it. You know, I, I got to come to accept that I'm wired a certain way. I just am. And I can spend the rest of my life fighting this and trying to change it, or I can just find the ways to harness it. And so this is how I am. So... All right, let's do something good with this because, man, I gotta have an endurance when it, when I put my mind to something. You should, I mean, anybody that ever saw me drink, can tell you that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what if I did something good? Like yeah. they say about criminals all the time, you know, God, if they only applied their mind to something useful. <laughs> so, so I did. I I, uh, I I decided I'm gonna run a mar- I'm gonna run a marathon. I'm gonna do it in in uh, 15 weeks from now. I, I I booked it right then. I got I found one, and I said I'm doing it. I changed my diet. I started running. I ran a marathon. Fifteen weeks. Um, I lost all this weight. I felt amazing. And I just said, "Man, this is the way." So uh, I got certified for nutrition and fitness. And um, I had always been a gym rat. Even all of them. That, that was my that was my uh, my, my uh, method when I was when I was drinking was you know get drunk and then I work out through your hangovers and, and then feel better. <laughs> you and know, sweat it sweated out basically that stopped working yeah (laughs) work after a while anyway um you know i go through the detailed steps of i won't give away the whole book but i go through the detailed steps of exactly how i found it and uh, what i do daily and it's very simple and it's just a matter of you know considering what you put in your body and when you when i didn't feel bad anymore i didn't want to drink because the big the thing with me was when i felt bad my mind, my mind, I I felt bad about myself. And then you're kind of depressed. You don't feel good about anything. You just feel old and sluggish and and just tired. And well, I know a real quick way to put that out. I mean, you know, just watch me. And so I would drink, of course it works for that one, maybe the second drink. And after that, you're back in the nightmare. So I said, how can I get to where I just feel, and this is my only, this is my, my only concept of, of, um, of Zen back then. How can I get a three beer buzz all day long every day without drinking? That's what I would think to myself. <laughs> and so I, I, I fine tuned my body with diet and exercise and um, making sure I put all the right things in. No meat, wheat, dairy, sugar, alcohol, processed foods, and obviously no tobacco. And um, those are the things I removed. And I eat all plant foods and um, everything's from earth. Um, all the foods from earth. I'm from earth getting back into sounding like an old hippie, but it really is true. If you just kind of get yourself back to your roots, you can breathe deep again and you feel well. And then you think, why would I ever drink again? (laughs) It doesn't even occur to me to drink. The funny thing is, Omar, we're on this interview. My wife's out of town. She's on business right now. This is when I would do my best work before. This is when I would be I wouldn't even be able to put two sentences together to speak to you before. This just occurred to me right now while we're talking, like, oh yeah, she's gone. It doesn't even cross my mind anymore i mean it's, yeah. it's 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 just a miracle for someone like me, that is a miracle there's I'm looking at a wine rack right now my My wife has a glass here and there. I don't know why she buys this wine. she never opens it. She likes it. It's from different places she's been, and it reminds her of stuff. She likes the wine rack because it's an old. You know, antique and the glasses look pretty. So she has it. She likes it. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking about this right now for the first time talking to you. It's just there. I don't even think about it. It's amazing.
2: It's a miracle.
0: It is absolutely a miracle. And I am fully aware that not all of us get it. Get, get the miracle, get the gift. That's why I call it the gift. It's given to us. And we can take it and abuse it and lose it, or we can be grateful for it every single day and remember how it was. And that's what I do. I'll never forget. And as much as my brother may have initially hurt me on the way out, he taught me more about what it means. To be present and to not carry resentment and to just love than anybody possibly. He sacrificed his life for that, as far as I'm concerned. So I get it. I got it. And um, man, I'm just looking for any way I can give it back to someone.
2: You're doing it, brother.
0: That's the thing that. Kills me right now It's it's uh, it's the same feeling like I said I used to say before I met my wife I got so much love in my heart and I just got no one to give it to I got so much Hope and sobriety And love To put out there for anybody That I'll help out, man, I just want to help you. I want to just give, help somebody find this gift if I can That's all I mean if That means more to me than anything I don't care about money anymore I really don't All I care about is just giving back and and living simple and being happy and and, and and having my peace and serenity and hopefully being able to give it back to others. It's been amazing. I don't know me now. <laughs> like that dude that I'm telling you about in that dude. little story. I can think about that guy. Who is that dude? We, we, we share the same name. That's about it. I guess
2: you're Nino now. Yeah, I'm
0: Nino now. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, an old story comes up. Like a friend will say something back from fa- on Facebook, back from the day, and I'll go, "Oh God, <laughs> I forgot all about that man." They don't, they didn't forget.
2: <laughs> yeah, they never do, man.
0: Oh yeah, they just, never like, do. But that's okay. Like I go, it just makes me even more grateful.
2: Absolutely, Nino. That's an amazing story, man. Like, like that's Hollywood,
1: is it? <laughs> absolutely
2: man well i you know i'm a firm believer and i've done this quite a few times you know i'm a firm believer that we all have a hollywood story inside of us it's a blockbuster it's it's heart-wrenching it's it's so it's so sad and it's so heartbreaking and then at the end it's so moving and inspirational and it's uh for many of us it is a it is a happy ending story through all the the horror that we put ourselves and those around us that love us the most through. You know, we find our way through this, this chaotic lifestyle and we end up who we are. We're, we're on this interview right now, sharing our experience, strength and hope. Uh, you wrote a book, okay? You've completely changed your life. You're happy. You've cut all the toxic people out of your life. And you're living a, a life beyond your wildest dreams. And that's what the promises promise.
0: All that stuff that I used to hear about as a newcomer in the meetings and say, what a bunch of bullshit. You know, <laughs> like that ain't going to happen. <laughs> like, and I was, they're exaggerating. No, and I, and, and I feel like I have it and then some. All of that stuff they said.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Your story, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. And uh, the story about, you know, your brother and and what you went through and what you both went through uh, with the cancer it's it's heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching and there is a beautiful story of of you and your recovery and your life today and there is a tragedy of how your brother died you know and that is the reality that yeah. some of us make it and some of us don't and the ones that make it live this amazing lives and the ones that don't die these horrible deaths i mean this disease if what we're doing right now helps just one person just one person stop right now and yeah. not go through what your brother went through then it's all worth it man it's absolutely, absolutely all worth it so so listen we're going to close up here we're going to close up for the newcomers so okay. here's what i want to do i want to do this quickly all right We'll do it quick. So, I won't ramble,
0: I promise. <laughs>
2: okay, we're going to keep these answers tight. So Got it. first, I just want you to tell us, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Take what you need and
0: leave the rest. Uh, that's what my sponsor told me um, when I was uh, in uh, going to meetings. I used to get so mad about some of the things in there that didn't sit right with me. And you don't need to get overwhelmed with the details. Take what you can use and leave the rest. Someone else can use the stuff you don't like. That's why it's there. Take what Perfect. you need, leave the rest.
2: I love it. I love it. And what does your recovery routine look like today?
0: I have spent a lot of time writing the book recently. I go to meetings here in Fort Worth. Um, I'll be honest, I am. I like the group, but I'm, I'm looking for another home group. I'm doing a lot of um, online meetings on intherooms.com, which I really suggest anybody trying. You can hit a meeting right there in your living room. and It's not as good as going to one, but its is, it, it is good. I run. I, I move my body daily, and uh, I put good food in, in, in my in my body, and I um, make sure that that I'm a clean running machine. That's that's my daily.
2: And if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Love yourself.
0: Really consider, really, really consider what loving yourself means. I heard that probably ten thousand times someone someone saying love yourself until one day it just struck me. Love. Like, what does it think about that? Do you love yourself? Are you doing anything that looks like to other people like you love yourself? Until you love yourself, nothing happens. And the beautiful thing is once you love yourself, genuinely, for real, everything changes and everyone around you can see it. And they start treating you different. The whole world opens up. I'll give away a little piece of the book and I, and I know you told me not to go and I'm gonna make it fast. Um, <laughs> something I wrote in the book. You know, I was watching a, a, a nature documentary and there was these buffalo and they were all in their group and one of the buffalo was injured and it sits on the outside and that's it. That one's out. They won't let it back in. And that's how I felt when I was out there, when I was drinking, when I was, when I was, when I was a drunk. No, the world just sort of puts you out. They don't mean to, they just do. And then all of a sudden, once I started doing good things for myself and I could see it again, like I, they could, the world could see it again, they were like, hey, how are you? I'm like I'm good. How are you? <laughs> but but, then, but when they could sense I was sick, they probably wouldn't have told me I was on fire if I was. Very true. It's very yeah. true. Man. It just it's 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 almost how, it's the same thing how we treat homeless people you know they just they're they're invisible people. It's it's kind of how you get treated when you're when you're sick.
2: What an absolutely amazing suggestion, Brian. I love it. It is going to be incorporated in my life. It has been for a long time, but I just don't think I've consciously looked at it. Being mindful, truly loving yourself. And what does that mean? So how about making the suggestion for this week is love yourself. Love yourself. Man, I love it. That's the first thing we have to learn how to do. And it's the most difficult thing we do. We hate ourselves when we come into these rooms. And we have to learn to love ourselves. The the slogan has always been, we'll love you until you learn to love yourself. And it's so true. We have to learn to love ourselves
0: yeah yeah boy I, I, I love myself a lot these days <laughs> i do man it's like some days i go oh, man this is borderline conceit i need to like re- reel this in a little bit and just keep it on a real level
2: i hear you brother i hear you man well folks we have now reached the end of our show thanks for joining us and as we say here
1: in costa rica pura vida
0: pura vida Omar
1: thank you Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the share your story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.